something happens that's really quite interesting at Fenway Park at every home game of the Red Sox. In the middle of the eighth inning, nearly everyone in the stadium stands up and begins to sing together. And they sing, I guess, the classic song, Sweet Caroline. And if you've ever been there, it is a strangely enjoyable experience. I think even the cynics among us, for a few moments, typically get caught up in it. As people of all different ages, young and old, different backgrounds, together, most people sing at the top of their lungs. So to simulate that, we're going to sing together. No, okay. <laughs> but it's really intriguing, this sort of shared experience. I think some tourists come to Boston to see Fenway and primarily to sing Sweet Caroline while they're there. Because this connection is made in these few minutes, connected emotionally with thousands of others. But of course, the connection doesn't last. It's only a few minutes and then it's gone. Before long, you're sort of bustling, trying to beat the same people uh, to the subway. But for a minute, there's a connection, an emotional connection. And that connection, I think, points to a desire that all people have, a desire to be connected to something bigger than ourselves and to be connected with others, connected to something bigger than ourselves. And we would say as Christians, that's true, that there is a God-given desire in every one of us to be connected to something, to someone bigger, but also to be connected with others who were also connected to that same person. And today in our text, we're going to see how God has designed and intends that for us. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Hebrews to Hebrews chapter 10. Today we'll be in Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. You can find it on page 1007 in the Bibles we provided for you. Page 1007, Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. You might open up a Bible app just so you can see the text in front of you. You can see exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. So we're in chapter 10. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers. We'll begin in verse 19. I'll mention those verse numbers throughout our time together. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, it would be our joy to give you one today. So on your way out, there's a table at the back. There's a stack of Bibles there. You don't have to ask permission. Just grab one of those. Take it with you today as our gift. Today we continue our six-week series. We're calling Together the Life of the Church. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to see this main emphasis. Let us together 
draw near, hold fast, and stir up because of what Christ has done and because of what He will do. And we'll look at our text in three parts. Draw near, hold fast, stir up. So first, draw near. We see this in verses 19 through 22. As the author writes, he's writing to the whole church. So he begins verse 19, brothers, which is equally well translated brothers and sisters. And he repeatedly says in our passage, us. So he says, verse 22, let us. Verse 23, let us. Verse 24, let us. So these words are not just for isolated individual Christians, but for God's people together. And we're urged in verse 22, let us draw near. Now, he doesn't tell us explicitly in the text, but clearly he's referring to drawing near to God. He begins verse 19 with, therefore, which connects with what he's written before, and he spent the previous chapters laying out from a variety of angles the unique, special role of Jesus Christ. And here he mentions some of that, and he says, we have confidence to draw near because of Christ and because of these two things, because of what Christ did and because of who Christ is. We see what he did in verse 19 and 20 as we see that sinners like us are able to enter now by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross where through his blood our, our sin was paid for. The punishment satisfied. Our rebellion wiped away through Christ's blood, and His blood has eliminated the need for any more blood. In the history of God's people, they had been told to bring sacrifice again and again and again because there was never a perfect sacrifice. So more sacrifices were always needed, but Jesus Christ, God the Son, fully God and fully man, was the one perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifice. And so because of Christ, now, verse 20, there is a new and living way. Christ shed his blood in his death, but he also was raised and lives today. So we now, through Christ, because he lives, there is a living way for us. And this access is possible, we're told, because we would come through the curtain. There had been a curtain that separated God's people from the Holy of Holies. That was torn in two when Christ was crucified. And his body, we're told in the text, is like a curtain that was torn so that through Christ's body, now we have access. So Christians can now draw near because of the perfect, finished work of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And we're also able to enter in, to draw near, because our Savior and King Jesus Christ is reigning today. And look down at verse 21. He is the great priest over the house of God. He's the great priest over the people of God. Before Christ, there was limited access for God's people to the presence of God. In fact, only one, the high priest, could enter into the Holy of Holies. And he could only do it one day a year. So he was the only one who could fully draw near, but under the strictest of guidelines on one day. In the preceding chapters in the book of Hebrews, the writer goes to great lengths to show how Jesus Christ 
was the one perfect priest. And the priesthood as it was has passed away with Christ. Because now you and I no longer need a, a sinful priest as a mediator, as had been the way. But now Jesus Christ, the perfect priest, He is the mediator between us and God. He advocates for us before the Father. So because of what Christ has done and because of who He is, we are able to draw near. And what is the tone of our drawing near? Look at verse 22. He says, we draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we enter in with assurance. Assured we can come into the presence of God and our assurance is based not upon ourselves or we would never have assurance because on the best of our days we would not merit entering the presence of God and on the worst of our days certainly not but we have assurance because our entering in is based upon what Christ has done, His perfect life. Our hearts once corrupted by our own sin, our evil consciences now made clean by Christ. We've been washed, likely alluding to the waters of baptism when we've come to believe. So friends, now because of this, we're able to approach with confidence and joy, with full assurance. So we don't approach God tentatively. And we don't approach God because of what we have done or what we will do, but we approach with confidence because of what Jesus our King has done. So friends, now, all Christians, every Christian can come at any moment. Before Christ, the people were cautioned, wisely cautioned, to stay at a distance from God's presence. But now we're told, come near. Don't stay at a distance. Instead, draw near. Now, for those who would have been the first readers of the book of Hebrews, Christians from a Jewish background, it was a massive shift in mindset because throughout their lives they had been told, Stay at a distance. Only the high priest has access. And now they're being told, come near. So they're struggling to understand this. They're saying, we can't draw near. But they're needing to be assured and told, yes, you can draw near. You now have access to the God of the universe because Christ has opened the way. Now, most people today in our city would, would think just the opposite. Most people in our city would say, of course I could draw near to God if I wanted to. Anyone can draw near to God. I mean, I'm not a great person, but I'm not a horrible person, so yes, I could draw near to God because I'm a generally good person. But in fact, friends, the, the very shedding of Jesus' blood makes clear that's just not so. His death was necessary because we're not good people. None of us are good. None of us deserve access to God, so Christ's death was necessary. And so, friends, this should pull us away from both, from, from one thinking, I can't draw near, but others think I deserve to draw near, but Christ has made a way for sinners like us. And, friend, if you're not a Christian, perhaps you think you just naturally have access to God if you want it, but the Scriptures tell us something different, that, that, in fact, we're all worse off than we would like to believe. But the good news of Jesus, the saving work of Jesus, is greater than we could ever imagine. We would love to tell you more. We'd love for you to feel safe to explore that with us. 
And friends, for those of us who are Christians today, now, today, you can draw near. You have direct access to God through Christ. They had priests as intermediaries, but no more. Now in the New Testament, we are a kingdom of priests. There's the priesthood of all believers. So now in the New Testament, in the church, we we don't have priests. We have elders and pastors, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. And those elders and pastors have no more access to God than you do. Occasionally, people will come to me and they'll say, you know, Curtis, would you pray for me? And sometimes explicitly or implied, they think because I'm a pastor, I have a greater level of access to God than they do. And let me be clear, I love to pray for people, and I would love to pray for you, but here's the truth, and it's actually good news. I don't have any more access than you do. You have the same access to God, that I, and that is a beautiful bit of good news for all Christians. So therefore, you, we draw near to God. We have special access. Several years ago, I was in uh, Dallas for some meetings, and as part of the meetings, the people who were hosting the meetings uh, were going to take us to a, a basketball game for the NBA team there, the Dallas Mavericks. Now, when our family, the Cook family, goes to games, we typically shoot for pretty much the worst seats in the house. So a few years ago, we took our son to a Bruins game, and we were literally the very top row. Now, we had a great time, but we were in the cheapest of the cheap seats, and that's normally what we do. But these guys that we went with, that's not how they operate. So when we got to the stadium, they gave us these credentials we put around our neck. And they started to take us to this other part of the stadium that I hardly knew existed. They took us to a box. And so apparently in these boxes, people just bring you food. Like you don't have to like go to the thing. They bring it and they just keep bringing it. I was like, this is awesome. So we're having a great time. But it got even better. About halfway through the first half, this guy comes to our box and he was the general manager of the team. And he's like, hey, you guys come with me. Like, okay. So we, we follow him, and we go down to the team's locker room. So they're out there playing, and we're in there, like, trying on their jerseys. Like, we're, we're in the locker room looking around, like, oh, this is crazy. And then they take us through a door out of the locker room, and there's a practice gym where the, gym, like, where the team practices. Like, come on here, guys. You guys want to shoot some baskets? So we, we start shooting baskets during the game in the practice gym. Now, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is awesome, but I'm also thinking, security may come and get me at any point. And I'd be like, uh, sorry, Mr. Cook, these people belong, you don't. And the fact is, I didn't belong, but because I was with them, I did. They gave me credentials, access, to go where I had never been and probably will never go again. But friend, if you're a Christian, you have an infinitely greater access to an infinitely greater place, to God himself, direct access to the God of the universe. So draw near to him. As we draw near, we're always mindful that as we're drawing near to him, we're drawing near to the one who's already drawn near to us. That's the good news of Christ. Christ has come near and dwelt among us. Now by the Holy Spirit dwells in each and every Christian. So God has already drawn near to us even as we begin to draw near to him. What are some ways that we can draw near to God? One, friends, we're blessed to draw near to God through the Scriptures. Friend, we should not lose sight of the benefit we have to be able to freely have a copy of the Bible in our language. This is not common in the history of the world. Free access. God speaks through his word. So read the scriptures. 
We also draw near in prayer. So you have access to God in prayer at every moment of every day, no matter where you are. So it might be the shortest of prayers, a prayer of desperation. Jesus, help. God, sustain me. I need peace. Any number of short and the longest of prayers, we can pray to the God of the universe. Something I found fruitful just in my own time with God lately, combining the two, is, is I've been reading one of the Psalms, where so many of the Psalms just show us this a personal view of God, an emotional engagement with God. So then reading that Psalm and then just praying in line with that Psalm. I've just found that good for my own soul, giving sort of fuel to my prayers. And we also draw near with the congregation. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But friends, I hope you see it's a command, draw near. But be mindful what this command is. The command is not keep away, but we're being told just the opposite. Come near to God, to the God of mercy and love and grace, the God who hears, the God who acts. And if you're a Christian, this means you. It certainly does mean other Christians. But this means you. Draw near to your God today. Second, we see in the text, hold fast. Hold fast. Look down at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Again, it's a call to do this together. Let us hold fast. Now, what are we holding fast, holding tightly, holding diligently to? It is the confession of our hope. It is we're we're holding fast to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What God has done in history, in the world, and how that applies to us. That's why it's the confession of our hope. It's our hope because we've based our life on this gospel. Christians are a people who believe there is a body of truth in the Scriptures, that this gospel saves, and we ground our lives, our hope, upon this. And we're told we're to diligently hold on to that and to do so without wavering. But we also see that we can do so because he who promised is faithful. So the good news is not that we're faithful. It's not that you can hold on if you're strong enough. But the one who promised, he is faithful. He's always faithful to his people. He's always faithful to his promises. So he will keep us even as we hold on. The Spirit dwells within us. He empowers us as we persevere in faith. And we hold to this confession of hope together. And it's essential we hold it together because there are some days, some weeks, when our grip individually is weak. So when I'm weak because of the struggle of life, suffering, sin, I need you to hold fast for me. And by God's grace, when your grip is wavering, I'll hold fast for you. That's what we do together. 
all of us holding fast, and from season to season, even week to week, some of us are stronger and some of us are weaker as we walk this path in this life. That's why we need the local church, others holding fast with us. In order to hold fast to this, what do we do? We want to fill our minds with the Scriptures, with the truth of what God has said. We'll also often be helped by reading helpful books. So we have a book table here at the front. These are, just, these are not all the good books, but these are some recommended books that we commend to you. So you can pay for them up there, but if, if you don't have the money with you, just take a book. We're happy to give you a, a helpful book that might just help you to, to stay the course, to persevere Hold. You might read the Bible with another person. One of the other ways we hold on to this confession is to think often about how God saved you. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember His care and His faithfulness, His mercy and His grace. And as we share this with one another, we're encouraged by the stories of God's grace in other lives. So let us hold fast together. And then third, stir up. Stir up. Look down at verse 24. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another. So this is a call for all Christians to give serious thought, to explore in our minds, to imagine, to consider something, and it is to consider how we might provoke in a good way, spur on, stimulate another person, and provoke and stir up to what? To love and good works. So this is primarily stirring up to love for others and to good works. Now, Christians are saved by grace, not by works. But the salvation of the grace of God empowers us to a life of good works. So we're to think about, how could I help stir up another brother or sister in the faith to love and good works? But let's think about what we see here, friends. This requires other people. In order for me to stir up one another, there has to be an another. If I'm not connected to any other Christian, there is no one else I can do this with. So therefore, I can't carry this out. It's a reminder to us that the Christian faith, it is personal, but it is not private. We do experience it personally, but we don't live it out privately. It is to be lived out together with others in the community of faith. The writer of Hebrews then gives us two ways in our text to stir up. These are not the only two ways, but these are two significant ways. He states one of them negatively and then one of them positively. Look down at verse 25. The first one is this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, and the second positively encouraging one another. At the end, we see the urgency of this. He says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the day drawing near is the promised return of Jesus Christ. There is a day, the day, coming when Christ will return and make all things right. And so we live in light of that, of what Christ will do in the future. Now, in the meantime, until then, God's people face difficulties, suffering, disease, death, opposition for the sake of the gospel. That was true for the very first readers of this letter. That's true for us today. 
We know the great challenges that we have faced in the last couple of years, and they will continue. I hope this reminds us of just how relevant God's Word always is to all people. Just as relevant as it was to those first hearers, it is for us today. So in the midst of the many challenges we face as we eagerly await the return of Christ, we're to devote ourselves to these two. The first, to not neglect gathering together. Now this gathering is the gathering of God's people on the first day of the week, on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. That is what we're doing right now. God's people, the church, gathering together. And we see in the scriptures, this is God's good design for his people. Life in the church is more than the weekly gathering like this, but it's also not less than that. And notice the caution here is don't neglect this. Now, if we wanted to, we could say it positively, and it would be this. Embrace, value, diligently pursue gathering together. And this weekly gathering is a means of doing what we've already seen, drawing near and holding fast. That's not the only way that we do it, but it's a very significant way that we draw near to God together in moments like this. So we together hold fast to our confession of hope. Now, this idea of prioritizing the weekly gathering of a church is, is honestly relatively rare among many Christians in America today. I think many Christians in America have the idea that, well, you know, we each individually have the scriptures. They have great music on their device. If they want to, they can listen to a sermon or watch a service online. And they think that's really all that they need. And maybe you've thought that way, or, or maybe that's how you think now. And then add to that, we, we've had the COVID challenge. We weren't able to gather for a number of weeks. We, we, we were glad to, to offer a live stream and still do, but we all know it's not the same as gathering in person. Deep down, we know we need a personal connection. I'm sure all of you at some point have used, you know, a tool like FaceTime, which is a really amazing thing that you can talk to a friend around the world. You can see them, interact with them. And it's a wonderful gift. You have a friend in California. You can FaceTime them anytime you want. But if your friend from California came to Boston, they landed, they said, I'm at the airport, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't say, hey, hey, no reason to come over. Let's just FaceTime. I mean, don't, don't take the tea. It's kind of crazy anyway. Let's just talk by FaceTime. Well, no, of course not. You say, put down the FaceTime. Come and sit in the room with me. Because we understand that there is a personal connection, being together, that is essential for a meaningful life. We, we know the value of in-person engagement. And the writer here is saying that we aren't able to carry out the encouragement that he has in mind if we aren't gathered together. Through this, not only through this, but definitely through this, we have the opportunity to stir up to love and to good works. So this weekly gathering of God's people is to be an essential, a very significant source of hope and health, a means to encourage one another, a vehicle through which we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, what are some of the ways that we do this in a gathering like this? And there are many different ways that we might think of as small or almost insignificant that are still meaningful. A simple, warm welcome it's a way of encouraging others. 
Someone comes and sits near you. And in a meaningful way, through your mask, you say, hello, I'm glad you're here. It might mean very little to you, but in a world that is increasingly isolated, for some people working at home, maybe haven't been in the presence of another person for days, a simple greeting is a means of encouragement. Another means of encouragement is a steady, faithful presence of you simply being here. You know, humans are funny. Most of you sit in the same place you sat the first time you came to Hope. Unless someone takes your spot, and I do the same thing. I go to some place. That's where I sat when I came into the class. I just keep going back to the same place. And there's something good about that in that you sit around the same people. And across the months and years, through the ups and downs of life, through your own struggles to know they're there again. They're persevering. She's there again. She's persevering. Simple, faithful presence by the months, by the years, is meaningful. It's encouraging. We read God's Word aloud together. We read this morning twice already, leading into confession and flowing out of that. So it's not just hearing in our own mind, it's not just reading to ourselves, but it's our voices together. We're encouraged by it as we hear God's Word. We pray together. Often there's someone praying, leading us here, but we're all joining in that prayer. And as they pray, we're saying, yes, I, I pray that that would be so. We can even close by all of us even saying out loud together, amen, let it be. Yes, that's what we desire. We sing together. We lift our voices together. And as we sing, we sing to one another, even as we also sing to God. It's one of the descriptions we have in the Scriptures where we are supposed to sing to one another. So sometimes the, the words, even of the songs, are more horizontal than vertical. And then many of them are vertical. This is God's intention. Because we're, we're emotional beings. These words ground truth in us. And often the words that we sing are more memorable than the sermons that we hear. The songs that you sing today, you'll likely remember on Thursday. God uses that for us. So these moments are, are meaningful as we sing together. It's one of the reasons as a church that, that we have the lights on so we can sing together, that we moderate the, the sound of the band so that we can hear this is the choir, the whole congregation singing together. It's one of the most painful parts of uh, the COVID time when we were only doing it virtually. Is I missed hearing the song, your voices together singing. And friends, never underestimate the value of your singing for those around you who may be struggling. For there may be some who are so weighed down by sorrow, pain, questions, that they, they can't even sing. And so when you give voice for them, you sing for them. And there will come a time when you won't be able to sing. They will sing for you. Friends, it's a tangible way to encourage and stir up one another. We receive God's Word together. We, we sit together under the Word. We listen together. We celebrate baptism together after someone is baptized. And the applause all across the room. What a beautiful sound of that applause. We re receive the Lord's Supper together. We, we serve together. After the service outside, we have a chance to, to fellowship together. 
And with one person, it's a short conversation meeting someone for the very first time. With someone else, it may be someone you've been praying for, and you get to follow up and see how they're doing in light of what you've been praying. Maybe you go and speak to a child who you heard singing so well in the service, you just want to encourage them. All of those little moments add up to stir one another up, to encourage one another. So friend, let me encourage you, therefore, to plan to fully engage with God's people. Come a few minutes early looking for who you might encourage. And don't rush out the door. Life is busy. We live our life rushing from place to place. Slow down. Look for who you can connect with. And I see this. I see you doing this again and again. No, not perfectly, but so many of you do seek to encourage others. And I'm thankful for that. So we should think about the emphasis of the text here is that the emphasis is don't neglect gathering together, not primarily for what it does for you, but what you do for others when you gather. Yes, we absolutely do come for times like this, for, for the nourishment of our own soul, for the health of our own faith, but we also gather for others. So don't miss because others need you. You can encourage them. Now it's challenging because if we're honest, what we're doing today seems very inefficient and honestly pretty strange to all the rest of our lives. I mean, I love to try to be productive. I read productivity books. So like when I listen to podcasts, I listen, you know, faster. Like I listen about 1.25, right? Because I, I want to get through it as fast as possible. However, I was in a car with one of our elders last week. I think he listens at 2.0. It, it blew my mind. I was like, how do you listen so fast? But it, it challenged me. He's even more productive. So this feels inefficient to slow down, sit still, and listen. It also seems, honestly, imperfect. When I was driving over this morning, it was just me in the car, and so I had you know, some, some music on Spotify I was playing, and, and a brilliant band playing perfectly. The only wrong notes were my wrong notes, you know, singing along with them. But otherwise, perfection. And when we sing together, because this is the choir, it is imperfect. A lot of you probably hit all the right notes. I don't. A few of us in the room hit a lot of wrong notes. So it's imperfect, but friends, it's far richer to sing with you than it is to sing with a perfect band. It's inefficient, it's true. It appears to be imperfect, but friend, we believe there's more going on in these moments than what meets the eye. Through the gathering, God supernaturally works in his people as the Holy Spirit dwells in us individually and dwells in us as a church. But we see in our text that evidently some people were making a habit not to gather. This was becoming a regular rhythm of their life, not to gather with God's people. Now, all of us know that we have both positive and negative habits. And over time, these habits, these rhythms form us. Now, some things that become habits in our lives, we didn't even intend for them. And sometimes they're unhealthy, but we just do them. So you started the habit of, like, picking up your phone the first thing in the morning. It's a habit now, not the most healthy one. But it's a habit. So some of our habits, they just happen to us, but they're relatively unhealthy. 
But then sometimes we do also work to form habits. We say, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to aspire to do. And so we also form those. Over time, these habits play a huge part of who we are. Of course, COVID disrupted many of our habits. Habits of being able to go to the work or go to campus or gather like this. And as a result, we all feel, I think, kind of sluggish in so many ways. And so we've offered a live stream as a part of the service, and we're thankful that we could offer it. And if you have, you know, health risk factors, we encourage you to continue to utilize this. That's why it's here. But also say if you mainly watch and you don't have risk factors, I would encourage you to, to gather with God's people in person to, to refresh that habit for your own good and health. So let me encourage you. Make gathering with God's people a settled rhythm of your life. That will actually simplify things. Because if every Saturday you spend time thinking about, will I gather with God's people or not? Or every Sunday morning, if you're a pro- procrastinator, you, know, you decide Sunday morning, am I going to go or not? It'll just add more stress to your life. But if you just decide, that's just what I do. This is the part of my life. It's a normal rhythm. I want to gather with God's people. Now you might say, well, of course, that's what a pastor's going to say. Right? A pastor's going to say that. He wants to fill up all the seats. That's what he's all about. So that's why he says, of course, come to church. Now, friend, it's because over the years I've seen many who in time the gathering became less and less a part of the rhythm of their life. And most of them didn't intend it, but over time they began to wander further and further from God as they've wandered further and further from the gathering. And many of them have woken up to realize they're in a place they never would have dreamed. Others, unfortunately, haven't woken up, but have continued to wander. So I say this, friend, out of love and concern for you. There are a variety of challenges, as we all know, that that play into this. We we live in a culture where we're we're able to travel and we have leisure. That's a great thing. And so I encourage you, enjoy those times of travel. It's okay to miss a Sunday gathering. But it's also worth being alert to if your kind of travel schedule leads to like multiple weeks in a row. You might just think through, I didn't plan it that way. That's kind of what just happened to my schedule. So so how do I just be more intentional with the schedule going forward? If you're students, I know that you're often exhausted and you need to study. And honestly, to set aside a couple of hours every week when you're not studying seems unwise on the surface. But I want to encourage you to Maintain this rhythm for the good of your own soul. I think it will help you to be a more effective, refreshed, healthy student as you set aside this time. For those of you who are parents, at basically every stage of parenting, there are challenges. When it's a baby, you're exhausted. When the child's a little bit older, they're restless. The kids get older, they're activities. And so there's a reason at every turn to be less engaged in that. But parents, I'm certain you want your kids to know Christ and you want your kids to love the church. But as you quickly discover in parenting, our kids see everything that we do. Good, bad, and everything in between. And we can tell them we love the church, but if our actions say otherwise, they'll pick up on that. 
And if our desire is when they leave home and they get to make choices, we want them to love the church too. We can't guarantee by our actions that will happen. But we can do all that we can, that they would love the church so that when they're on their own, by God's grace, our hope is that they would make those similar choices. So parents, craft this as a rhythm in your family. Let your kids see you love the gathering of God's people. My friends, gathering with the church is helpful and important anytime, but especially when we struggle. Especially in the hard times. Especially when we don't feel like coming. It is then that most likely it's so helpful for us to come. And so we gather that we might encourage and there are many ways that we can encourage one another, and often those spring out of our time here. So, so following the service, you have a chance to chat with someone that leads to a meal with them in a week. You, you chat with someone, you realize, I think they could use some encouragement. So you think through, how could I reach out to them this week and encourage them? So friend, what are some ways you could encourage others? Who might you send a text to this week to encourage them? Email them. Maybe even a phone call. Don't get crazy, but I mean, even, even a phone call. Or a handwritten note, which is so foreign in our world. It can be tremendously encouraging. I'm thankful for you. I saw you this week. I was encouraged by seeing you. That small note might be the lift someone needs. If you're a member of the church, take the membership directory and, and just pray through that throughout the week, maybe just a, a page or half a page a day. And as you see people, you may think, I'd like to encourage that person this week. To encourage people in good works, if you serve, invite someone to come with you. Say, hey, come join me in this service. And friends, it's, this encouragement happens most fruitfully within trust. It takes some time to grow some trust whereby we can encourage, whereby we can stir up, where we can spur on. So it's one of the reasons I think there's value for most of us most of the time to find a particular church and stay for a while. Now, that's not always possible. So, for instance, we're, we're about to plant a church in Bedford, and we're praying some of you will go. That's a good reason to go. And some of you, because of school or work, will, will not stay in Cambridge. You'll move on. And we're for you in that. Don't feel any guilt if that's what the path is for you. But for many of us, we really do have the freedom to think through, how might I find a church? It might be hope or it might be the next stage of life, but could you find a church where you would then begin to decide, I will try to find a job that allows me to stay. Instead of going wherever the job is, I want to find a church and build my life around that, finding a job near there so that you'll be in a community with trust so you can faithfully encourage others and they can encourage you. Friends, we live in this difficult, painful, frantic time. But Christ has made a way for us. This is not new in the history of God's people. It's not new in the history of the world. So by God's grace, let us draw near. Let us hold fast together. Let us stir one another up towards love and good works.